I believe that if you make good decisions with the brand, somewhere along the line we'll make money. But I'm fairly relaxed about where and how it is. I don't look at margins or finance at Grenade. I never ask the cost. Because the minute you put a cost on something, then you're limiting what's possible in some way, shape or form. And I don't want to limit what's possible. I want to make the best product I can. Ow! We're good. <laughs> can, can you hear me? Yes. I'm unmuted. Ow. Good. Yeah, yeah, I got a message there to start up the screen. I thought, it's on. I'm sure it's on. It's on. <laughs> so I'm not, I, I'm going to, I'm cutting the top of my head off. I'm going to go back very slightly. Cheers. Saturday night. Has it been Cheers, a long day? Al. Thanks for joining us. I'm so grateful. <laughs> my um, pleasure. Al, I'm going to start with, I, I obviously just spoke to Ben, who you know very well. It's great uh, to have uh, yeah. you as our, um... I, I, I just caught the last 10 minutes. So I just came in, as you were saying, about possibly having a business selling um, Land Rover parts. And I was like, no, I want to do that. I've got to go and <laughs> yeah, start it tomorrow now and get a head start. Yeah, I, I thought of you. When I came over to yours, there were loads of Land Rovers there. Got two more now. Have you? Got two more. I must be an absolute suck of a punishment. You know, it's weird, though, and actually probably because we'll, we'll discuss brand and, and you've obviously been discussing Gymshark and their amazing brands. It, 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 Land Rover is a fantastic example of, dare I say it, stuff that's probably not as good as it could be. And there's probably better, there's certainly you know, better vehicles out there in terms of reliability. But they've just got that heritage, literally, I've got a heritage defender, um, but they've just got that ability to just make you want it. It's genius, and it's, it's. I like I like overkill, and Landro is massive overkills. Most people don't take them off road, um, certainly not to the level they can do. But I think it just there's something about jumping in a Land Rover where you just get that sense of adventure, and certainly having the capability you don't really need. It's like having a really fast car, but driving a fast car really slowly. It's just nice to know it can do it, even though you don't. If that makes <laughs> sense. So I just like that they do it really well. Land Rover do it brilliantly, and again, it's another you know solely all business. So. Um, yeah. woo holy hell. <laughs> right, I'm going to, um, going in again, I don't normally ask like really open questions, but... Um, yes, you do. All right, then. <laughs> I, I, I do with you, Al. Um, so how would you go from borrowing 500 quid to having a 200 million pound plus brand going international, disruptive, everything that you've done? I love your brand. I love what you do. How do you do that? Take us on a little journey, Al. Yes, that's a great question. Uh, I'd love to say I know, but I probably really don't. Um, I think, do you know what? I, I, and I'm sure, again, I, I missed the start of um, Ben's talk, but I know what he will have said as well. I think people that probably start these incredible brands that go on to do amazing things don't really set out to do that. That's probably not the vision. I think people that say, right, I want to go and build a billion-dollar brand, chances are they probably don't. I think certainly in, in our case, I just did what I loved. I've always done what I loved. I've been in the fitness industry for 30 years. So I started when I was 14 in terms of training. So straight away, because I've loved it and I've grown up with it and all my friends are in it and that's just been my life. I've never spent a day at work, even though really I'm kind of always at work. So that way I think it enables, I think people like um, myself and Ben, whatever, are super dangerous because we really love what we do. And if people then want to come in and compete with that, certainly, you know, a lot of bigger, more corporate brands have probably got a lot more heritage, a lot more money, a lot more staff, uh, more formidable. We're really hard to compete with because we can be so agile and have got that passion. And, I, and I, someone actually said to me once, they said, um, I don't know, you do it, Alice, you could buy something for a tenner and sell it for a fiver and yet somehow you've made money. And I didn't know what he meant at the time. 
And it took me years to really realize what he meant. And I think somehow if you just do the right thing for your brand and you enjoy it, uh, it'll kind of come good in the end. And certainly, you know, trying to treat people the way you'd expect to treat them, whether it's people you work with, suppliers, retailers, consumers, um, being fair, trying to make good decisions. You know, I've always said with regards to the brand, if we do what's right for the brand, who loses? Nobody. You know, it's great for us. It's great for investors. It's great for consumers. It's actually great for the competition um, because, you know, it, it broadens the market. And, and I think it probably tells people what good looks like. Um, but, yeah, in terms of how we did it, I mean, there's there's the raw truth uh, I say we because it's m- my wife and I um, that started Grenade. Um, it, you know, having a brand is probably quite a lonely thing to do. Running a business unit you know, can be quite a lonely thing to do. So if you can get one of a person to back you and support you, uh, and you mentioned obviously your business partner, in my case, it was my wife who also became my business partner. At least the world is that little bit less lonely because that's one less person that you actually have to convince because um, I was actually <laughs> saying to someone earlier today, uh, you know, when you have an idea and it's just an idea and you really haven't got any money and, you know, you, you've got to, there's just that one person that believes in it and then you get a second person to believe in it. You've got to go and find those millions and millions and millions of people and get them to believe in it and spend the hard-earned money on it. And it's obviously incredibly difficult. And I think if you actually looked looked at how hard it would be, I'm not sure if anyone would actually get it started. So we sort of took every day as it came did what we enjoyed, tried to make good decisions, always made and always do make the very, very, very best product we can, always. Um, the amount of times we've had a product, it's not quite right, we haven't launched it. That's ha- certainly happened more times um, than, than we have launched product. Uh, we didn't take a day off for four years. We never took a salary for four years. And everyone was just how can you do that? And we had a, a rental property, which was a £1,000 a month at the time. Um, and, you know, we still lived on that. We've got no kids. Um, I was driving a van, um, you know, well, my wife had, had, had got a car, um, but we didn't really have a lavish lifestyle. Uh, you know, I'm having a gin now, but for 20 years, I didn't drink. Um, so we, you know, I've always trained. Um, I've probably never paid for gym membership in my life because all my friends own gyms. And I suppose we probably boots, bootstrapped a lot without realizing how much we'd, we'd bootstrapped. And although the four years were incredibly hard, they just flew. We, didn't, we hadn't realized that we hadn't had a day off for four years because if we went anywhere overseas, that was just like a holiday switch. You know, we were working for Grenade, but, oh, you know, we're in Vegas at the Olympia or whatever. So, again, it, it was work, but you're working in some sunshine and, you know, you're getting to sort of see the world for free almost. So... It, it never felt like work. And um, yeah, we hadn't probably quite realized what we'd created. I think the first time we realized we were on something special was after the first uh, 12 months. And we only ever had one product and we only ever intended to have one product, which is a weight loss product called Thermodetonator, which is the, the grenade bottle that you see everywhere. Um, and after a year, we'd made that the best selling weight loss product in the UK. And funnily enough, I think actually still now, 10 years later, it still is still number one on Amazon. Um, and um, it, it's just never really been knocked off that top spot, which is, you know, what, what there's not many things you could say now that actually do well now that did well 10 years ago. And they've actually sort of probably bridged that gap, all that change we've seen in terms of social media and online and obviously all the recent COVID stuff that's kind of already felt like it stood the test of time. And it's only 11 years old. And I really feel like we can build something iconic with Grenade and are building something iconic, very much like that Land Rover, um, you know, brand I was obviously talking about earlier, where they just built something iconic that, that people love. And, you know, where I grew up with Cadbury's, you probably did too, because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm from Birmingham and, and Cadbury's are from Bourneville. Uh, now my, I've got no kids, but my friend's kids, um, they wouldn't dream of eating a regular chocolate bar. They they eat carb killer, you know, they eat grenade. 
And um, and again, if someone said to me 30 years ago, you're going to make a chocolate bar that's going to be you know better for you than uh, regular chocolate and you're going to outsell Cadbury's dairy milk, I'd have thought they were mad. Um, you know, because that's got a hundred. And again, this is, you know, Cadbury's is a brand that I absolutely love. Who doesn't? Um, so we never really set out to sort of compete with anyone or take anyone on. It was just all about, like I said, doing the right thing, working hard, having fun. And, and Jules and I are just, especially Jules more so than me, just incredibly focused, hard workers. And like I said, we're not having kids. That was, you know, Grenade, Grenade became our baby and still is really. So I suppose when you sort of do all these things, with some focus and some discipline and you just sort of stay blinkered and just tr- keep trying to make good decisions. And as Ben was saying, you know, surround yourself with great people, which sounds easy, but it's in fact incredibly hard, especially early on, because you've got to keep convincing people that what you're doing is a good idea. You can't afford to pay them as much as they can go and earn in a, a proper job working for proper employers who actually know what they're doing. So uh, yeah, that that's incredibly hard. It actually gets easier to find great people as you sort of build a bigger brand. But in the start, it's it's really hard. I think if you add all the sum the sum of all these parts up, it starts to um, you know help to, to to shape a brand. And I'm a huge believer in timing. You can't. It's the one thing in business that you can't change is timing. You know, the the moment you're in is the moment you're in. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, again, I you know dare certainly I'd, I'd definitely with Jim Shark and have been ten years early pre social media. You know, it, the, the timing would have been wrong. Certainly for us, uh, we kind of have had the benefit of people wanting to move away from sugar, for instance, and that's been hugely beneficial for us. If you're at a point in time which, you know, wasn't that long ago and people were couldn't get enough sugar, um, then, you know, the, top, the timing's wrong. One of my best friends actually invented lactose-free milk and uh, they threw it all away and he bankrupted him because he invented it in the 1970s and nobody knew what lactose intolerance was. And now it's everywhere. Yeah. But just timing. Great. So it was a very long answer for one question. It's going to, it's going to be a long evening, isn't it? Cheers. Nice. Yeah, well, you're all right. You've got your gin, so you look I know. Really I'll, happy. I'll, can we get you a virtual gin? Can we do that? Do a virtual... yeah. I thought it's a fire, fireside chat, but there's no fire. No, no, I, I don't get that. Does there have to be a fire in fireside yes. chat? Yes. F- funnily enough, I've, I've got my fire going in the other room. Which one I go out? It's probably burnt the house down. If I suddenly start <laughs> smouldering and run and the fire alarm goes off, you know what's happened. So my apologies, but I'm, I'm about to be burnt alive. Right. We'll have on to camera. The, yeah, yeah. We'll have to get the studio updated then and get a fire here. Get a proper um, fire in a bar, get a gin bar. Yeah. Hi, it's Rob again. And remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Have you yet joined the Rob.team platform? You can join on Facebook or on my native Rob.team membership area. For just £5 or $5 a month, cancel any time you get 10 pieces of premium content from me a month. Supporter and team only events, meetups and social dinners. Supporter only ask me anything lives with me every two weeks. About five or six, uh, seven day challenges a year, make cash challenges, social media challenges, competitions and prizes. You get discounts and premium ticket upgrades to special events we run. Many of those are supporter only. You get content updates from my three Facebook account managers um, on Instagram and Facebook, uh, changes and hacks. You get recordings of all webinars and live stream content I do, which I don't offer out to the public. You get an extra 10% of any and all of my trainings, even the best discounts. You also, if you're one of the first 60 people to go to www.rob.team, get a 15 minute one-to-one call with me. And once you've done your first month subscription, I'll be doing those in order. And if you're one of the first 256 people, 
you get into a supporters team only WhatsApp uh, group. You get my mobile number and we share strategies and tactics. You also get bonuses updated every two weeks. Things like how to write a best-selling book course already in there. Um, all my marketing KPIs that you can use to measure and master your business. How to dramatically increase your fees and um, pre-book PDF documents. My six-stage seven-figure launch course, which was a previously paid for course for about 500 people online. So you get all that updated regularly. Go right now to www.rob.team. See you there and you can join either on Facebook if, you're, if that's your social media platform of choice or on the specially uniquely built platform that I have created just for you. I think you're going to love it. www.rob.team. Right, out. So we've got, you know, Kids here are 12, 15. We got, you know, early 20s. And then we've got parents of young entrepreneurs. So I'm also going to focus a couple of... I haven't of sworn them. yet, have I? I don't think I've sworn. Well, Ben dropped the F-bomb. So he did, I, I saw know. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Pretty all, all, now. all good. People are used to me, you know, my language, so they're fine. Right, so go right the way back to the start of Grenade or when you started your first ever business and you were young... Um, what advice would you give to that young, excitable, relentless Al? Okay, so I'd say my first business, funnily enough, I was 11. And my dad was a heavy goods vehicle mechanic. So he only had used to work on lorries and big stuff, coaches, things like that, never did cars. And he had a, I want to say contract, but he didn't have a contract. He just maintained vehicles for um a delivery company who delivered for Cadbury's and Mr. Kipling I think Mr. Kipling is still going I think you don't really I don't look for it anymore so don't go down the cake section to don't trust myself but I imagine they're still going but it was a big cake business wasn't it you know back in the 1970s um so he did deliveries for that and very often his vehicles would come in for MOT and this is the story told me it's probably not true now so I'm probably incriminating myself but the story I got was these vehicles would come in and there are cakes on the back and there probably weren't quite as many preservatives and stuff in them then as there are now. And they would they didn't have as long a shelf life. So, you know, they'd, they'd be sort of in date when they came in. And like that wasn't the world's best mechanic, if I'm totally honest. So by the time the vehicle went out again, the cakes would probably be out of date and they'd be throwing them all away. So voila, opportunity for me to help myself to free cakes. First rule of business, if you get it for free, amazing profit margin. Right. Amazing. So getting free cakes, take them to school, 15 pence each. Show me age, you know, at least it was real proper money. It wasn't like in guineas or shillings or whatever. Um, <laughs> Pre-decimalization. Yeah, so 15 pence each, two for 25p. And then, and of course, I'd just get unlimited amounts of these cakes. So soon learned what the best sellers were. Didn't tell my parents. So I was a little bit embarrassed. And, didn't, and I knew they'd tell me off, so I didn't tell them. And they, um, they couldn't work out then. The, the reason they sort of cottoned on to what I was doing was they dad would like bring cakes home and stuff. And I'd be so like, donate those, donate those ones. Don't touch those. You can have those. So you can have like the Mr. Kipling country slices because nobody likes those. Don't eat the Cadbury's flake cakes because I can sell those basically. And they, they soon realized what I was doing. And I was selling them at school and I'd, I'd go out in the playground. You'd have like a break in the morning, a lunchtime, and a break in the, in the afternoon. And I'd have like a little queue and then teachers worked out what I was doing and then the teachers that started buying and then they didn't want to walk out to the playground. So I'd go around the staff room. So I'd take the cakes to them. Um, so bigger captive audience. And um, uh, yeah, and the headmaster found out and threatened to expel me. And then my parents got called up to school and they sort of knew what I was doing at that point. 
And um, and the headmaster said, he said, like, your son's either going to end up a multimillionaire or he's going to end up in jail. Um, I've never been to prison, <laughs> funnily enough. I don't really <laughs> want to start now. Um, but yeah, he'd probably got a point. So that was my first ever business take it. And, uh, you know, what did, what did I learn? I think, yeah, amazing profit margin. It's free. Um, so I'm not encouraging theft or criminality. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of that, that worked for me. So I guess, you know, having, having a product that's in uh, demand and also no competition because no one could, um, no one could, uh, outcake me in the, in the, in the playground, but it's amazing. You just, I, I, I absolutely, and it was never really about making the money. It was about sort of probably, um, I was never unpopular at school. I was actually quite popular, but I was never sort of sporty. I was kind of quite geeky, so I was quite clever. I probably should have been bullied. I wasn't bullied, but I think it was kind of, it just made me quite popular, really. So I was kind of, I could get stuff other people couldn't get. And I think that's really what got me into the, the, the gym industry is when I was like 14, 15 years old, or when I worked experience in the gym and everyone was like 10, 15 years older than me. And um, I just liked the fact that this gym was like basically full of multimillionaires and sort of, criminals and nightclub bouncers and all this stuff just a, just a different set of people than ever been exposed to and people could get stuff um and it was a it was just a, a really exciting thing to be part of it was pre-internet it was all quite entrepreneurial and i think you know back then i just learned i just learned how to hustle and i think to a certain extent you got it or you haven't you know my, my, my family weren't really hustlers but i think that taught me some some hustle and um yeah, you know, you were saying to Ben earlier that you don't get taught a lot of this stuff at school and you, you don't, you know, the education system's dangerously outdated, probably by at least 100 years. And um, yeah, this sort of stuff. And again, the stuff you're teaching and the entrepreneurial stuff and teaching kids actually how to go out and do something for themselves. I can't tell you how valuable that is. I really can't. Because I think, you know, to go into the big world and rely on someone else to maybe give you a job um, is going to be really tough for the next. And, and, you know, it's never been easy. But I think to go out probably and make your own job certainly for me, because I'm unemployable. So if you can go and make your own job, then that's probably got to be got to be better. And the gaps are out there. You've just got to look for them. Um, you know, the gaps are out there. And again, being fearless. So even threat of expulsion didn't really stop me, <laughs> to be honest. I think they were trying to scare me, but I thought, well, we can't really sort of get, you know, expelling for selling cakes. I think it was I was making more money than the teachers at the time. They didn't like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, be, being fearless is another good one for you as well. Um, don't, don't be scared. To, and again, actually, Ben was saying it about following your gut. I can't, you know, I, I can't say how true that is. You'll always get people telling you not to do stuff. That's easy. But just, you know, if you think something's right and you believe it, you should always go for it. You'll regret it if you don't. Mm. Thanks, Al. So um, if you could pick um, three traits, um, in addition to what you've said, maybe let's go specifically for young entrepreneurs, because I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of the younger ones think they're at a disadvantage. I haven't got money. I haven't got experience. And what I'm trying to do with this summit is get them thinking in a different way and seeing the advantages of youth. Um, so could you pick, do you think there are youth advantages? And if you do, could you pick two or three traits? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first of all, I don't think having, you're going to think this is bonkers. I don't think having money is an advantage. I really don't for a number of reasons. Um, I think it can make you a bit lazy, potentially. And I think this is why some of the bigger corporate brands are falling into the trap where maybe lazy is the wrong word, maybe, um, you know, uncreative perhaps. Because yeah. if you can go, and actually we fell into this trap at Grenade about two, two years ago, where we could go and do some of the big expensive brand stuff. And we did. 
And then, you know, you spend a few hundred thousand pounds on something. And just because you can afford to go and do something doesn't mean you should. And the nice thing about having no money, it absolutely drives creativity because you can't afford it. You can't do it. And, you know, you're all about disruptivity. And, you know, being disruptive doesn't have to be expensive. It just has to be disruptive. So, you know, the best thing we did was, you know, blagging a tank off a friend of mine, <laughs> taking a tank into a show. All of our competitors had got huge marketing budgets. They were taking Formula One cars and their drivers and, you know, racing bikes and uh, into shows and building enormous booths that you could live in and then smashing them up again two days later and, you know, sort of going to the next show. Uh, and we just couldn't do any of that. You know, we literally, we've got my wife and I, no money. And, and, you know, and although we both train, you know, we're not obvious fitness ambassadors. We just really believed in in, in making a good product and believed in that brand. Um, and not having money was was great. We got like 12 quid and we spent it on two T-shirts. Um, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, we got this tank in and, and we absolutely stole the show. And it really cost us very little. So I think that that's been my experience where, you know, not having money has made you do stuff that's been really uh, creative and, um, you know, inexpensive. So uh, that would be the first one. I mean, other traits, yes, yeah, certainly I'm 44 now. And uh, and actually, this would be, this would be, I'll ask Ben this next time I want to see him. Um, I'm, and you, you mentioned Clubhouse. I'm wondering now, you know, I just missed the peak of social media just through, through you know, my, my age, really. Um, I'm not really interested in Snapchat. I'm not interested in TikTok. So that, for me, would be a disadvantage because for me to sort of go on those platforms, which I should do, uh, and, you know, and the brand does, I really don't enjoy it at all. Um, so, but if you're young, and that's the thing, you love being on there. It's like me loving being in the gym. If I'm going to the gym at chore, you know, that's going to be your Achilles heel. I don't. But if you, you know, if you find being on social media a, a, a chore, which actually I do, uh, I probably wouldn't be on social media at all if it wasn't for Grenade. Um, excuse me. But the, uh, yeah, if, and if you're youthful now, you don't know any different. You grow up, they're on 20 different apps. You can sort of fly through it. That's how you communicate with your friends. You know, this was certainly new to me. In fact, how old are you, Rob? I can't remember. Are you sort of late 30? 40, 40, 40. Well, you've had a big paper round, didn't you? Um, yeah, but <laughs> so, but do you find the same? Have you, I mean, you're phenomenal at social media, but I don't know how you do it. I go into Clubhouse, I'm like, oh my God, Rob's in it again. You live in that place. <laughs> and I know you should do because it's having a moment, it's growing, and you get this amazing fun, and now's the time to do it. But oh, I just, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I actually think you'd be really good on Clubhouse, Al, because you're very, I keep getting invited to stuff. You can tell a good story. And you have fun and uh, there's banter in your chat. So I'm not saying you should go on Clubhouse. That's obviously yeah. your decision. But actually think it might be one of the social media platforms that might suit you, yeah. you know, if the others don't so much. But, um, yeah, but yeah. I, you know, I struggle a bit because it's not visual and it's just audio only. And you sort yeah. of, again, I'm, I'm gesticulating all over the place. I'm sort of quite visual. But I tell you what, but then, you, you do that with we'll do a Clubhouse. Though. Let's, right, do let's, do let's do a I'll clubhouse. We'll do a room with you. I'll make it nice and comfortable experience for you. I've never done one before, so be gentle on me. Don't worry, I will. And you could have a fireside <laughs> chat by sitting next to your fire in the clubhouse. So exactly, you'll hear it crackling. Yeah. Well, look, you're <laughs> yeah, only, you're only, go on. 
So Alex Chisel invited. This is Ben said the same. This is my experience at Clubhouse. I go on, I think, oh, there's Alex Chisel, there's Rob or whatever. I just look on, and it's like, oh, come on the stage. I don't know what the stage is. Where's the stage going? I'm thinking, yeah. can they see me? Can they see me? I'm like <laughs> naked or something. I'm like, oh, covering the camera up. No, to leave, leave, leave quietly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I, I need to, yeah, I need to get into that. But so to, to answer your original question, if you love that sort of stuff, that's a huge advantage because again, you can spend twelve hours a day on social media and make it work for you. Um, yeah, that's definitely an advantage. And and I think you know as well. I, I made a comment to someone. I suppose the third one um, I'd say as well is when you're just younger, you're just more relevant to the time that you're in. And I actually made a comment. To, what I mean by that is I made a comment to someone actually the other day in the sense that I don't know if it's because I've not got children. I'm not around anyone really that's younger. There's younger people, obviously, at the office in the 20s and stuff. But because of lockdown, we're not really seeing each other. So I'm not really around, you know, teenagers or anyone below the age of 10. So, you know, they've got their view of the world, which, you know, that's how that's all they know because all they've seen. I've got my view of the world because I know what I've seen. You know, our grandparents had their view of the world because the stuff that they went through. And you've got obviously these sort of generational uh, barriers, I guess. Um, I, I've just got this feeling, I've got no proof of this whatsoever, but I've got this feeling now that the generational barrier between, say, my generation and then, like, you know, teenagers is probably bigger than it's ever been because of social media and COVID and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, I could, and you probably be this, although you've got kids, so it's different for you, but I just couldn't get into the mindset of someone that age because I've just got no experience of it, the same as they wouldn't be able to get into my mindset. And um, yeah, the comment I made to a friend of mine was actually, it, it, it's almost like um, if I'm chatting to someone who's, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, let's say, there's probably almost nothing that we would agree on at all because we're just so different in terms of views, whether it's, you know, music or history or the future or the planet or whatever, we'll just have a, a different um, views on it. And that's kind of a bit scary for me and you can see how people kind of get older and just sort of lose touch but yeah. you know how exciting now to be coming into the world probably uh, although i think there's a lot of challenges ahead and in some respects i'm glad i don't have kids because i think there's going to be a lot of difficult times ahead but how exciting to come in have youth on your side and just have that perspective on the world and then hopefully this generation can make make it what they want to make it um mm. so i think that's probably a very long answer again as usual with me, but there's probably three things now I think hugely beneficial probably if you're you know you're the right age. And again, actually having to support your parents, there's a fourth, because I never actually had that. Yeah. Um and, and just in the sense they never discouraged me, but my parents certainly, especially my dad, uh was just a very, very hard working guy. So I learned that from him. But he was He'd only ever worked for himself and his family business, so he got a very blinkered vision of, of the world. And, and I think he was just always very um, – he never really wanted or expected much of me, if that makes sense. So – and, and I'll, 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 I'll clarify that. Like if I'd have just said uh, – and there's no disrespect to van driver because they're doing an amazing job, but if I'd have just come home and said, Dad, I'm going to be a van driver the rest of my life, he'd have just thought, you know, fine. He'd just be happy I'd got a job. Um, and in a way, that's probably really nice, but I wish he'd probably pushed me more and encouraged me more because I think then I'd have probably, where I got to now, um, not that I've actually got there yet, or certainly when, you know, where I got to when I was in my 20s with my um, second ever business, which was a distribution business, I'd have got there 10 years earlier. 
Um, so I think I probably wasted a lot of time where I went and learned stuff that I really wish he taught me. Um, mm. Although to be fair, like I said, he did have an amazing work ethic. And I just, you know, I learned that by default. The downside being he was never there when I was growing up. So, um, and actually the fault there, he never made any money either. So uh, again, you know, as, as Ben was just saying with one of his points, the first thing I did when I actually made any money was I bought my parents a, a bungalow by the sea. Um, because they always dreamt of doing that and never been able to do that. So, uh, and, you know, buying the car and things like that. So that's the, that's the absolute pinnacle, the icing on the cake of, you know, being successful is actually doing things for other people. I'm not really bothered about myself, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, great. So I'm going to ask you two questions I haven't asked anyone else. I've had some themes, but just want to um, do something different with you, Al, because I've got to know you since you came over <clears> to yours, we did the Disruptive Entrepreneur. And one thing that strikes me about you that I really like about you is you like to have a laugh. Like you cannot <laughs> relax around Al because he's going to have banter. He's going to take the piss out of you. He's probably going to pull some prank on you. Um, and do, do you think you mentioned about having fun? Do you think that's an important element, you know, of being a business owner, an entrepreneur is having fun? It's the most important thing I think about being an entrepreneur having fun. And I think, and not this week, because, you know, I'm really miserable this week. I'm really <laughs> grumpy, as you know, really grumpy this week. I'm having a very grumpy week at the moment um, with uh, just frustrating things going on. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, I think it's critical um, because, I mean, funnily enough, and I'll, I'll give you a specific example. So, uh, this week, my he's my manager director actually now, but he was uh, sales director beforehand. But prior to working at Grenade, uh, Phil was managing director at Cadbury's for 20 years. So, you know, you've got someone there that's kind of worked in, again, a fantastic brand that we admire. And, you know, originally a family-owned business and come to, um, uh, you know, Grenade, where it's obviously a bit of a madhouse. And it, he was saying... Uh, he's three years older than me. He looks a lot older, but he's three years older than me. And he said as well, I've never had this much fun. And and this, don't get me wrong, we're doing a lot of difficult stuff. It's never been done before. We're under lots and lots and lots of pressure. We can absolutely screw this up, and we do regularly screw this up. Um, but I thought that was a really nice thing, uh, actually, from to say I've just never had this much fun. Because, it, you know, it's long hours. And we're all quite tired <laughs> and there's big risks. And obviously COVID's hit hard and we've, you know, we've kind of grown through COVID. We've hired another 20 people this year, um, which, you know, we feel responsibility for and don't want to uh, let down. So I thought that was a really nice comment. So I've never had this much fun. And again, it comes down to sort of surrounding yourself with amazing people. Um, and and I, I suppose now because the team are so good, I'm probably having in some respects, more fun than I've ever had because a lot of those day-to-day -day press, pressures, you know, I've got two MDs, I've got an international MD and I've got a UK MD um, and they've adopted more responsibility and I've got so much faith in them and I know they can do this better than I can without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and again, as Ben was saying, you know, recognising that in the people and recognising what you're not very good at. Um, and I say, actually, I'm not very good at playing any individual instruments, but my forte is conducting the orchestra. Yeah. So, um you know, yeah, it's been easier for me to kind of have fun. And again, luckily, a lot of the things that we've done, like, you know, making the world's largest protein bar and stuff like that, and, you know, going over to Holland and making this bar and it's got like chocolate chips the size of my fist. I mean, it's just <laughs> stuff that's just, it's funny, really, because it's just fundamentally quite stupid. So, and, you know, it took six people to lift it. And we're like, we hadn't really thought how we we're going to get it home. And, 
we were thinking, can we get it back on the plane? And I'd hired a plane to go over and I'd keep it on the plane. And then we sort of shipped it back and then like, we got the Guinness World Record and stuff for it. And um, yeah, it's just something it's kind of, and, and again, technically it's really difficult to do, but we just sort of made it fun. Um, and subsequently we've, we've blown it up, unfortunately, because of, cause the, the, uh, the army were going to eat it and because of COVID and regulations, they, uh, we couldn't obviously get enough people together at one point to eat our gigantic bar. So we've had to blow it up. <laughs> so I know what a, which we haven't shared the footage of yet, but yeah, you couldn't make it up. Could you? Um, yeah. but no, you know, if, if you, if we'd have taken ourselves and I actually say to people all the time, we've got, we make really serious product for serious people. So a lot of our customers are, you know, Olympic athletes, professional athletes, a lot of military, specifically a lot of elite military. We work with all the elite military around the world. So these are pretty serious people. Um, but, you know, we make a product that looks like a hand grenade and, um, you know, we drive tanks through London and we sort of paint it orange so that, you know, we don't sort of cause any offence. So because people find green tanks offensive and orange tanks funny. Um, so just stuff like this. So and I think if you can kind of it, I think it means we get away with a lot. And I suppose grenades is very much an extension of me because um, all brands are extensions of their, their founders because they kind of have to be because all the good stuff and all the bad stuff all ends up in there somewhere. Um so I think, yeah, having fun is, is absolutely critical. I feel really, really sorry for anyone out there who's running a business and not having fun. And there's loads and loads and loads of people out there at the moment because of COVID. I really think it's, uh, it, you know, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's tragic. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine having a restaurant or something like that or a hotel. It wouldn't, it just wouldn't be me. It's too serious. <laughs> um, so this enables me to do things like having a giant grenade-shaped hot air balloon and then jumping out of it um and stuff and it, and, it, and again we just attract lots of wacky people so somebody messaged me the day and they want a parachute jump off everest i'm like well, as long as i'm gonna do it yeah they can do it if they want <laughs> so and you know richard browning with his jetpack so uh partnering with richard um but yeah so yeah really serious product but don't take ourselves seriously yeah. you know as the red bull really rebel day could take themselves seriously but again you know make a perfectly serious product but having fun with it um so and you you have loads of fun doing what you do as well Mm. Even in the dulcet world of property, you've made it fun. You've made it a, a you know a, a brand. I've got loads of boring commercial stuff. It's really dull. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I like to come from the place of take your work really seriously, but not yourself. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's because um, look, let's be honest. We spend a third of our life sleeping, so we've got two thirds of our life left. We're probably going to spend at least a third of our life working. It's not yeah, much more. Um, if you don't no there isn't well. no there isn't and you, you've got to you've got to figure out how to combine this i can't really combine sleeping and working as such yet although funnily enough i do have lots of weird ideas when we sleep and then when i wake up i'm thinking oh i might go and do that funnily enough um but no absolutely i you know it's um yeah having having fun is just is fundamental you know you're not here long are you and it doesn't mean to say you have to do things you know you can still do things well and have fun um, and you can still do things properly and have fun and you, know, you can still grow and do uh, lots of other stuff and, and, and you know, and enjoy it. Um, but certainly I think that, yeah, if the, the day I think I stop having fun, uh, I'd have to just go and do something else. Um, you know, I really would. And I think, you know, huge bugbear of mine because fun because people don't believe me when I say this, but I'm actually inherently quite lazy. So I'm one of those people, if I'm going to do it, I will do it. I'll, and I'll do it to win or just won't do it. Um, so, 
you know, it, 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 I hate it when people half do something. I just find it really irritating. Um, I did notice that the, the board on the on your little map, all the names on, you've missed a T off Barrett, but never mind. I'm, I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> we haven't. This one, you have. This has not got your name on it. Oh, uh, no, no, no. The one, that, the one with Pete Cohen on there with the board. I don't know if Pete wrote that. You missed the T oh, off. Oh, Pete, thank uh, oh, after our conversation today, thank God that wasn't me. <laughs> so it's good job I've had half a gin. Yeah, so yeah. kicking off now. You know I'm a massive diva, um, <laughs> but no, no. J- j- joking aside, we just said I don't know if it's COVID or society. Or, do you know what? It might just be me. Perhaps I'm just a massive knob. Um, <laughs> but I just, I, I um, uh, it amazes me sort of nowadays just the amount of stuff that just people just don't do properly. And do you know what? For everyone sort of listening, both of you, um, for everyone <laughs> listening, there's there's your opportunity. Find yeah. something, no matter what it is, that just is not being done well. And it's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. I've got talk about Land Rovers. My, uh, I've got a discovery under warranty, luckily. The roof is pouring in. I mean, pouring in. Right, to the point you can open the door and it's like, you know, you're going to get washed away. And, um, and I'd heard of this fault before. I had a phone Land Rover and I got a phone Land Rover. Not really interested. So they said phone Land Rover assist or did they come out? Went, oh, yeah, got loads of these. Got loads of these. This is a two-year-old car. And um, it's, yeah, when they designed the windscreen, it wasn't thick enough. Then you think, great. You know, so it's like, can you repair it? No. Nah. No, it's got to go to somewhere else, two-man job. And, and again, to be fair, it was actually pretty helpful. But it's just like, oh, someone's made this. <laughs> they had one job. <laughs> <laughs> and the <laughs> amount of people now, but wouldn't it, because Land Rover could pay for this, wouldn't it be easier to do it properly the first time and upset all those people, send all those cars out into the world, all over the world, bring them all back again, take something off, and then put it back on. Wouldn't you do it probably the first time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just something that's happened. I don't know. I just like yeah. that. Yeah. Because yeah. well, you know, I realised so with Grenade, and it's been years since I've said this, the opportunity I saw with Grenade was uh, back in, I won't mention the brand. There was a really, in fact, this is still around barely. There was a, the biggest brand of 12 years ago, say in the UK. Um, and their model, and actually a huge American brand at the time, which is still sort of everywhere, their model, this is going to sound bonkers now. They've got really expensive products, um, which I'd realized were really quite cheap to make. Our stuff actually is quite expensive to make. This stuff is really quite cheap to make. And I'm talking like, you know, two quid to make it, 80 quid retail. It's like criminal. And then and I, when I sort of queried this and started looking into supplements, I'm like, how, how, are they, how are they justifying this margin? And someone who worked at the company said, oh, because our model is, um, is just to sort of find a consumer once and just keep finding new consumers. So basically, he didn't say this, but I heard ripping everyone off once. Um, and I'm like, well... I thought back then, surely it's got to be easier to keep existing consumers happy than keep looking for new ones. Because eventually you're just going to run out. And again, for every time you sell something to someone and they tell people don't buy it, you, you know, you've got them working against you all the time. You don't you want consumers working against you because it's not really that helpful. You want consumers actually telling people your stuff's good. So isn't it just easy to make something that's actually good? <laughs> um, so, and that was like their entire model. And I'm not saying it's, you know, I mean, I do think it's wrong, but... <laughs> 
that was their model and it worked for them. And then, you know, one of those brands is still pretty big and one's kind of gone into nowhere, which I can sort of sit, understand now. But again, I couldn't get my head around that because I just thought, well, I'll make something, perhaps it's naive, I'll just make something that's better and consumers will just keep buying it, mm. which they do. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I don't know, I, I wish perhaps more companies did that because a lot of things I buy now, I don't know if you find this, a lot of stuff I buy, I'm fundamentally so disappointed I'm never buying it again. Mm. Um, you know, but do you find that you sort of, Stuff just doesn't do what it says on the tin. Yeah, I think some things. I mean, I do try and buy quality stuff, um, you know, watches, cars, clothes. But still, you can pay 50 quid for a designer T-shirt and in two washes, you know, so, well, yeah. And, and again, you've something up there because I think there's this, um, there's the fear, isn't there, that if you kind of, you know, there's obviously the, you know, potentially buy cheap, buy twice. Um, but I've just discovered Primark. And I've got these Primark pyjamas and they were 13 quid and I just, I love them. And I think, you know what, fair play, you can see why it does well. Uh, yeah. And as soon as they're open again, I'm going to go buy some more. But the, um, I've never shared that with anyone, but the, um, yeah, with the, you know, with, but what I was going to say was I, actually I've noticed that buying it really expensive stuff, expensive stuff, you don't necessarily get what you pay for either. Um, right. I'm embarrassed to say, most expensive thing I ever bought, do you want to know what it is? Yeah, I'm not proud of this. I do. Okay, so it wasn't the most expensive thing in terms of absolute value, but it's the most expensive thing in terms of uh, it was an absolute rip-off of what it was. And this is going to sound really bad. It was a toilet brush. Right, so had a whole bathroom. I'm going to explain this, though. You're laughing, right? But I bought a really expensive toilet brush. I didn't quite know I'd done it. So, But I, I, I had this, not in this house, but in my other house, I had this wet room fitted out. And it was quite an expensive wet room and had everything matching and it all looked lovely. Um, and for the most part, it was lovely. And the toilet brush broke after about six months. And it was obviously eating at a bar, so I'm very vigorous brushing. It was obviously going to have a hard life. Um, I'm probably going to come back as a toilet brush, actually, I think, in my, if there's such a thing as reincarnation. But the, um, yeah, broke this toilet brush. And I hadn't actually studied the invoice of this stuff because it kind of came as a, as a job lot. And then when I actually got the invoice out, this toilet brush, have a guess how much the toilet brush was. And it lasted six months and it literally snapped. It was metal. 75 quid. 300. 300 quid. And do you know what? I, I felt physically sick. Bearing in mind now, that's probably 15 years ago. Wow. I, I cannot that's look not. at a toilet brush. 700 quid now then. With probably, yeah, with inflation. But... The thing is that now I, get, now I go Brabantia, so I don't buy the really cheap ones for a fiver, but I go Brabantia, probably about 25 quid. Yeah, look the part, not really expensive, but again, proof that paying a lot of money for something doesn't mean it's any good. And do you know what? I bet all the young entrepreneurs across the world watching this are so glad we're talking about toilet brushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was, a, there was a broader meaning, though, to be fair. There was a broader yeah. I'll tell you what, Rob, as we always say, wall-to-wall wisdom. You couldn't get this yeah. anywhere else. But It's either that or watching the rugby highlights. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about that. And, we're you going know to the funny that. thing? We, we supply the Scottish rugby team, but not the English rugby team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say no more. Yeah, yeah, a bit annoyed with this. But, yeah, sorry, carry on. I'll, I'll move, right. move on from toilet brushes. But you actually make a really good entrepreneurial point find a problem or something that everyone else isn't mm. doing very well and do it better. And that's it's great, everywhere. Make a great point. Right. So do you know what? I, I, sorry, just, just one yeah, thing. Yeah. Sorry. Cause I know you've got to get more questions. So just to elaborate on that as well, I'll tell you who else does that is um, Richard Branson. Yeah. In the, uh, in the sense of, 
just you know what because he obviously loves doing stuff for consumers and again i'm going sort of pre-covid now but you know that's where the airline and stuff came from he just yeah. you know looking at something and thinking you know where are his his methodology was just looking at sort of sectors where he thinks consumers aren't really getting a a, a great deal or they're not getting a great service or whatever and then just providing it and again he's got that that trusted name that people like maybe not so much now but they like and it's kind of it's that simple keeping it simple yeah yeah love it so we've got four minutes left i'm gonna do four questions to okay can you quick answers no i can't i'll do my best go on (laughs) far away right number one what's the best advice you ever remember receiving i should have prepared for this because i heard you ask ben um (laughs) best advice because I know you're going to ask me the worst advice, the best advice. Um, probably actually, I think with uh, with Grenade, this was, I was torn about something and someone just said, um, stay true to the brand. And as soon as they said true to the brand, I knew what to do. Yeah. So that's probably the best advice I had, definitely. That's great. That's brilliant advice. And then worst advice, like you said, you knew the, you knew the question coming. Worst advice. Um. Yeah, someone said, don't come on this, don't come on this program. And I ignored that. I can't go. <laughs> I'm joking. I can't go with that one. The worst advice I ever had. Now, I think Ben struggled with this and I'm struggling as well. Because, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, sh- sh- I don't think, nothing springs to mind. And I'll tell you why nothing springs to mind. I, by advice, I think you, I'd probably almost immediately think of someone saying something to me. Um, that I'm unsure about, and then we're probably going and do it or not going and doing it. I don't think anyone could make me do something I didn't want to do. So to be fair, I don't think I could say I've had sort of bad advice because if they've given me advice, that it might have turned out to be bad, but I probably would have agreed with it or I wouldn't have done it. So that's why I think nothing springs to mind. I wonder if Ben would have probably said the same. That's still a good answer, though. That's a mm, good answer. At least a quarter, maybe even a third of people I asked that, don't have an answer. And that is still a good answer. Like some people say, I can't remember because I don't listen to bad advice. That's still a good answer. That's great. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Wouldn't it be horrible if someone, oh yeah, I know what it was. Yeah. Someone said, um, <laughs> yeah. Someone said, yeah, don't buy those Facebook shares <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> bad I, I, um, I interviewed Nolan Bushnell who founded Atari and was Steve Jobs' first mentor. And Steve Jobs offered him 50% of Facebook for like 50 grand or something. Sorry, That's bad Apple, advice. 50% of Apple for like 50 grand. So, yeah, I so, know someone so, like I, that. Uh, do you know what I, I do as well? So a friend of mine, he had a, he, well, he's got a, a software company. And one of his employees was telling me this. Like, this was actually at Richard's place. He was telling me this. And um, he's, uh, he's Norwegian, actually. And he was saying um, that, that, yeah, he's got this software company. And one of his employees came to him one day with this idea for a video game. And um, they, everyone just laughed him out of the room. So he, and they said, oh, just, just go and start it. And you're like, you know, good luck. So he did. Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Love those stories. <laughs> right. Two more. Two minutes. Is there something that for a long time you believed, but you U-turned on or changed your mind and even maybe recently? Yeah, potentially. Do you know what? I, I believed, and I think maybe this is perhaps imposter syndrome, I really believed that we needed to probably get some corporate investments or some private equity in our case into the business to formalize the business a bit and to kind of help us out and to sort of tell us how to grow a big business. And I believe that to be true um, 
probably, you know, up to the point we kind of did it. Um, and although we've had two great rounds of, of private equity and, you know, touch wood, it, it's worked. Uh, yeah, it hasn't come in and probably transformed business or done anything that we probably couldn't have done anyway. So I think yeah. that would be the case. I and mean, I think, you know, let's say external investments. I think I believe we needed external investment, external help. And actually, in that respect, um, we probably didn't. Um, so that, that's probably quite a common thing that people think they need. I think, you know, people do think sometimes they need a lot of help. And actually, they, they probably don't. You just need to run the test of time. Yeah, great. And then is there something that you believe, but the masses or a lot of people around you don't? Yeah, uh, funnily enough. So, yeah, it's probably, again, it's another finance one potentially for me. I just, I believe that if you make good decisions with the brand, somewhere along the line, not necessarily in an obvious sense, could be in brand value or whatever, a partnership, something, somewhere along the line will make money. And I'm kind of, but I'm fairly relaxed about where and how it is. I don't look at margins or finance at Grenade at all. In fact, when we make a product, um, the cost is the last thing I look at. There's about five or six things in front of that that, that we do. And I would imagine we're the only people that do that. I'm probably the only person that does that. Mm. Um, I never ask the cost because the minute you put a cost on something, then you're limiting what's possible in some way, shape or form. And I don't want to limit what's possible. I want to make the best product I can. So um, once this backfired me years ago when I had my distribution business and I made some whey protein, had that made and didn't query the cost, it was 150 quid a kilo. Um, it's quite a lot of whey protein 20 years ago. Um, but funnily enough, did manage to sell some to Boomper for Burns victims. It was the best protein you'd ever make anywhere, ever, hands down. Patented it and sold it. Um, but it wasn't ever going to be a mass commercially viable product because actually no one knew what whey protein was either. But yeah, so I'd say that on cost. I, I, I genuinely believe that would cost. Great. Now, where can we follow you? You know, where can we see what you're up to on socials? And also, you know, what's the main product of yours that you like to promote? Uh, yeah, so uh, not in Clubhouse, although I am in Clubhouse, but you're not, you're not going to find me in there because I hate it. Um, but that's going to change next week or whenever we're going to, because we're into a room and we're going we're gonna to take over the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm an Instagram grenade CEO, which I also hate. <laughs> I'm on there, I don't post an awful lot. Um, my main platform actually is LinkedIn. I quite enjoy LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and I think actually, because I sort of, I'm just me on LinkedIn and I, I do get a lot of people going, oh, Facebook, not LinkedIn, the LinkedIn police come out, don't they? Facebook, not LinkedIn. <laughs> can't, can't put that on LinkedIn. Really? I just did. People yeah. quite like it. I'll keep doing it. Um, so that's something I think I fundamentally believe as well. I think, I think you can have fun on LinkedIn. <laughs> and no one has fun on LinkedIn no. a lot of the time. <laughs> I think more people now having fun on LinkedIn, but it's like Facebook for adults, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, LinkedIn and um, yeah, I'm, my Facebook profile is personal. I'm obviously Grenade on all the platforms as well, so Grenade official, and then yeah, mine's uh, Grenade CEO. When I get sacked, I've got to change it to something else, haven't I? A bit like Grenade Owl or something, probably, yeah. or just yeah, <laughs> unemployed. <laughs> Al, I just want to say massive thank you. Thanks for supporting. No, thank you, Princess Trust Young Entrepreneurs Summit, and giving your time for all the young entrepreneurs, inspiring them, and having fun too. You know, I think you're awesome. So grateful. Thanks, Al. Anytime. My pleasure. Always. We'll do a clubhouse. And Rob, keep it. Yes. Again, long day. You're done now. That's it. You yeah. finished. You, yeah, long day. Honestly, yeah. the stuff you do, Rob, it's my, I don't know. Where'd you get your energy from? I just love what I do. So it's yeah, just shows. enjoying it. Yeah.
All right. Well, look, cheers. Thanks yeah. to your whole team as well. Really enjoyable. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Great talk as always. We'll catch up really soon. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Cheers, Al. Take care. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.